goal of this podcast is to help you break in and thrive in advertising. And we do that every week by sharing the stories and advice of those rocking it on the other side. We also have an award show for aspiring advertisers called the Crowbar Awards. So you can break in, get it? You can check it out by visiting www.crowbarawards.com. And this week, we learn from one of the best creatives in the industry, Nick Howard. Nick Howard recently made the switch from working at Wyden and Kennedy to now serving as an SVP creative director at Leo Burnett in Chicago. Nick Howard is an art direct is the art director side of the infamous Nick's creative duo, his partner, of course, being Nick Stoner, who is also on this podcast. And I have a special love for Nick Stoner and now Nick Howard. Nick Stoner, who was on the podcast previously, was the person who introduced me to Myra Nussbaum at Havas Chicago to come on this podcast, and she eventually hired me at Havas. And I was not the least bit surprised when I ended up having another Hall of Fame episode with Nick Howard today. So Nick Howard is making waves across the industry and it's caught the attention of Leo Burnett. So that's saying something. It's also caught the attention of industry trade publications and the industry as a whole. Because in 2022, their work, this is the Knicks we're talking about, their work for Clash of Clans was awarded two Grand Prix at Cannes. It also won the film Grand Clio, Best of Gaming at the One Show, and the Webby for Best Documentary, propelling Wyden and Kennedy Portland to Independent Agency of the Year and onto Fast Company's Most Innovative Companies list. In 2021, they were named to Ad Week's Creative 100, and their work with Alex Brager at DDB helped LACMA open their doors to the public for the first time since the pandemic began, leaving, leading Miller Lite to its first one-show gold pencils and can lines. So, the list goes on. I can read more. They have Super Bowl spots, two of them, and they're really obsessed with ideas that are simple, powerful, and demand a reaction. Today, you will listen to Nick Howard talk about his break-in journey from aspiring to be an astronaut and thinking about going to Boulder to then thinking about being an orthodontist to eventually leading to advertising. He also graduated from the University of Illinois, where I went, and he explains specifically what a student's goal should be in creating a portfolio and talks about how he went from being an internal communication intern at his first job out of college where he might have uh, stole some files but eventually broke into art direction and where he learned how to make the chili fit in the cauldron. As well, we learned the importance of finding your accomplice in advertising and how having a strong partner can help you break in and thrive in advertising for the long term. And he listed out some resources, secret resources. You can only find those by checking out our Instagram at Breaking and Entering Pod. That's on Instagram. And I'm doing a new thing. I will help you connect with Nick personally if you leave a review on Apple Podcasts and rate the pod, preferably five stars. And you reach out to me on LinkedIn. I will email Nick for you. 
Now on with the show. This is the Breaking and Entering Advertising Podcast, and as usual, I'm your accomplice, Gino Schellenberger. Kick it, Mikey. Howard, welcome to the Breaking and Entering Advertising Podcast. How the heck are you doing today, sir? I'm doing good. It's Monday, Gino. Um, it's good to talk with you about something other than like what I have to actually do for work. So, how often do you talk about advertising? Um, I'm one of those uh, awful people whose hobby is also their job. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, way too much. Way too much. Well, how about another 30 to 40 minutes of talking about advertising? Can you handle that today? It's the least I can do. Great. Well, you, you look great. You got some cool glasses on and rocking a mustache. I get made fun of for my mustache. I'm sure you don't get made fun of for yours. But uh, mustaches are good, especially when you have eyebrows like mine. I kind of just have like three mustaches on my face. Well, you're rocking it. You're rocking it. Um, so what are we going to talk about today? You are crushing the industry right now. You're an SVP creative director at Leo Burnett. Are you in Chicago, Illinois? Yeah, thank you. That's really nice of you to lie on this, uh, public forum about me, but I am in Chicago. Um, it doesn't feel like you're crushing it. I definitely have never felt like that, but, uh, yeah, I, I spent a little bit of time on the West coast, um, and just moved back home to Chicago, the, the homeland for me and super proud to be back. I've got a, a lot of love for the city and it's, you know, overlooked by people on the coasts and international folks who tend to go over to New York or Los Angeles, but man, there's, uh, there's really no other better city. So did you grow up here? I did. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm a suburb boy. Like most people, uh, one who find their way into Chicago. I grew up in the Northwest burbs in Barrington. Um, gotcha. And, uh, I always hated the city. And then, um, cool. like Barrington's a little, a little woodsy and I grew up skating and snowboarding. So I kind of lived outside as a kid, a little bit of like, uh, you know, raised by wolves situation. And yeah, I didn't like the city. And then as I've gotten, uh, I don't know, now, now I'm kind of a city guy, I guess. Yeah. I didn't know Barrington was outdoorsy. I had some woods and stuff over there. Not all of it, but um, where we lived, we backed up into like a forest preserve. So I kind of mm -hmm. liked something there. Yeah, my free time was spent with a little Swiss Army knife, like scratching my name into trees and stuff and pretending like I was uh, Bear Grylls. I love that. I had, a, I had that phase too, um, but maybe not as quite. What are we going to talk about? I think we had your partner uh nick so the nicks two nicks nick stoner on the podcast which i have to say uh, and i told you this and i think you know this and he knows this but to the audience uh after i interviewed nick stoner he introduced me to myra nussbaum who's the president and cco at havas and after i interviewed myra she hired me so i have to give a shout out to nick and for making that intro and I know you two are, are creative partners and he's going through some stuff right now. I think what, what's his life like? Um, he is in the delivery room, literally as we're recording. <laughs> are you, are you going to stop by after? 
No, he's in he's in Portland, Oregon. Him and his wife. Are, oh, he hasn't moved moved back yet. That's right. Yeah, he's still on the West Coast. They're having their baby. Um, but yeah, him and him and Myra are the best. The the three of us are like the weirdest little advertising family. Um, if there was such a thing as like advertising godmothers, mm -hmm. uh, Myra's earned that title for both of us. Um, has been a mentor, a boss at several agencies. Um, you know, a guru, like sort of everything to us. So you found yourself a good, a good boss. I, I'll go wherever she goes. And, um, and I brought up your, uh, stoner, Nick Stoner being in the delivery room, I guess, because you guys are so close. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if, are you the godfather? Were you on the short list for that? Oh man, I don't know. That's a good question. Might, I guess, that, I guess that's probably... Now that we said it in front of millions of people, you might have to commit, but, <laughs> but I think I bring that up because you guys are so close and that's one of the big themes that I want to talk about learning about Leo Burnett, learning about where you guys just uh, came from, which what I believe is widen. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah, you got it. And then uh, talking about like the longevity and the importance of finding your, your accomplice, as we would say in breaking and entering uh, your creative partner to thrive in this industry. So those are the th the key things I want to get in all your advice as well. Does that sound okay with you? Yeah, let's do it. I think that's uh, I think it's a fun thing to uncover that a lot of people ask questions about, but I'm not really sure anybody has an answer. So I'll try to try to provide something. Um, but yeah, I'm sure he would appreciate me recording an advertising podcast as his wife is delivering his baby. It's awesome. It's awesome. All right, well, let's throw it back and then we'll work our way back up to how you got to Leo. But I, th I think just kicking it back to when did you realize you wanted to enter this field and create ads for a living? I still don't know if I want to create ads for a living. Um, That's a good answer. But I, but I really love doing it. It's, uh, I don't know, the, like the creatives of the of the industry are are really blessed i think it's like it's it's such a such a fun silly job and whenever you're like drunk at a party with random people who don't work in the industry they always love kind of peppering you with questions about it um but when i was a kid i like i said or maybe this was before we started recording i just grew up skating and snowboarding and like trying to make music and playing around with stuff so i never had a plan to go into the advertising um, I actually had a really roundabout way of getting there. I, uh, tested super well, um, in, in high school, I got like perfect in science and math and then almost zeros in reading in English. If anybody out there took the ACT. Yeah. Uh, and so it was a pretty like binary choice for me. My parents were like, okay, go be an engineer. Like you're good at math and science. And so that was good to me. Um, I wanted to go snowboard in Colorado and they're like, if we're going to pay, you know, a bajillion dollars a year, you're going to be an astronaut. Um, cause they had a great aerospace program. Who's they? Boulder, weirdly enough. They, they have a great aer aerospace program. I heard they birth a lot of astronauts specifically. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. maybe they don't now, but they did. And, uh, that scared the shit out of me. Um, and scared me enough to say nope so my parents kind of called my bluff a little bit and then i bounced around all the other colleges i went i like applied to and tried to figure out which one left the door open the most and so went to u of i where i was undecided and then we U of I? 
Yeah. That's right. You had, you had, you're, nice. Illini. I don't have a ton of Illini pride, um, but. Well, the uh, one the sports get, the basketball is decent. Yeah. There's a, there's a little bit of pride. Well, tell there. me more. Now, I, now I'm hooked. Cause my brother went to Boulder and I went to U of I. So okay, I, nice. I have some connections here. I'm interested. Nice. So you've got, you've got comparisons on both sides. Yeah. I, Illinois was, was great. Cause I had no idea. I, basically I wanted to defer my decision as long as possible. Like I, I I'm just, you know, decisive now, but at the time I, you know, I didn't want to go into finance. I didn't want to, like, I thought I was going to be an astronaut. Then I thought I was going to be an orthodontist. Uh, cool. I had a lot of like teeth work as a kid. Um, but then it was junior year and I was kind of staring graduation in the face and I had to declare a major. So uh, till your junior year undecided. Yeah. Yeah. And I took, uh, one of those classes that force you to make, you know, like phony resumes, you know? And they were all really boring. And then the one that was basically like, you know, the little skateboarding company I propped up, uh, where my friend painted skateboarding decks for me. And, um, I made little videos, of my snowboard crew and like all this fun stuff I did. It said I should go into advertising. So I took that to heart because the rest were like, you should be an econ major. And so all the boring things basically were easy to check off. And I was like, I'll, I'll see what advertising is about. So you were doing like this little media, uh, like company or production company making videos throughout college of your passion. Yeah. I had a few actually, none of which were like anything to actually talk about, but, um, yeah, one of them was, I found this guy who made, um, longboards out of his garage in Utah. I bought mm -hmm. his blank longboards. And then a friend of mine was a really great painter. He painted the bottom of them. Cool. And we sold those. Um, I had another company that was trying to be um, like hype beast for college students. Um, it was uh, like a culture blog for men. Um, and cool. I had nine other people at other colleges around the country who were contributing writers. And so we did That's that awesome. for a little while. And then I just liked to, you know, play with my bootlegged version of Photoshop on the side. And so all those things sort of culminated in like, you know, you should probably try to make things people enjoy for a living. I love it. So like a little bit of branding, entrepreneurial spirit. Um, you've got nine other writers from different schools to contribute to it. What was it called? Cheap Crew. Uh, nice. Obviously influenced from um, Illinois mascot. Wow. And were these LLCs that you like actually registered or you're just kind of doing it? No, no, not like I said, nothing real. Um, but they made, they made for a, you know, kind of a weird resume. And like, I think even one of my projects was, uh, my brother-in-law really enjoys beer. So I made a fake beer company in his name and gave him like a brewing kit. And so one of my projects was like a fake beer company for my brother-in-law. It was literally just a Christmas gift, but I turned it into a, a project and people liked that. And were these in your like portfolio or I guess I'll let you finish. So you, you then, so you decided from a class that advertising was potentially a, an interesting route from thinking about potentially going to Boulder to be an astronaut engineer to orthodontist, you land on advertising. My first question now, or my next question is what did your parents say? 
you scored super high in the math and science portion makes sense to me finance accounting how did they handle when you said advertising was the route to go um well i scored yeah i did okay in in high school and then when it came to the real world in college um it was really funny i had this one t-shirt um it was like a, a tall tee if any of my listeners know it's it's like a ridiculously long t-shirt and on the um the hem of it I flipped it up and I had like all of the econ formulas written on it. Nice. And I think I was, I think this was freshman year. So I was probably 18 or so. And my mom found it when she was doing my laundry, like on a winter break and absolutely like lost her shit and was freaking out that I was cheating. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm actually not good at math and science. It turns out like I managed to do it pretty well in high school, but in hmm. college, I, I have no chance. Um, so it, I, you know, I don't know. I guess it's okay to say that now. Yeah, I cheated a little bit. Hey, with generative AI now, I'm sure a lot of students are cheating. Yeah, but no, that they didn't, they didn't, um, they didn't bat two, two eyes at it because I don't think they knew exactly what it was, but um, I don't necessarily think I'm a Nepo baby. However, my sister did get me into the field a little bit. She, when I was, even before college, actually, do you know what a PA is? A production assistant? Yeah. Yes. She, she was working for all sorts of production companies, MTV at the time and AMC networks and second city a little bit. And so she brought me on the set a few times as like an illegal unpaid PA and just let me hang out around set and buy Twizzlers and cigarettes for people. Um, I'm sure they don't buy that now, but, um, I was driving vans and just being a PA and I, I loved set life and the like exposure into production was enough for me to say yes to, to advertising. And now, and now she's the best. She, um, is, uh, running second city in Chicago and expanding them all over, uh, the States. And so she's crushing it. And definitely like the reason why, you know, I have a career. Oh, I should get her on the pod. That sounds really interesting. Um, so, th so your junior year, you transfer in and then did you feel behind? Uh, did you know you wanted to go the creative route? Did you have that decision made? Were you looking for internships? Was it like, okay, was it like an epiphany moment where you knew you had to go all in on this and make it, make a, make a stand? Absolutely. Cause people were getting, people were getting jobs junior year. You know what I mean? Like the, the really smart people were sure they were getting internships, but they were like having real conversations with real companies. So I totally felt behind the eight ball. Um, and I joined all the things, right? Like in college, you, you just try and stack your resume with yeah, the ad club. Yeah. Just a bunch of Steve Hall, bunch yeah. of, and yeah, I know Steve. Um, I've talked to Steve a lot. He's a good dude. He's, he's one of the good ones for sure. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I joined all the things and within one semester, I quickly realized those also weren't for me. I'm not like a rebel by any means, but I took the creative advertising class and I got like a C minus. Um, Peter and, Sheldon? Yes. Yeah. And I knew, I knew my idea was like better than the rest, or at least my arrogance told me it was. And so after that happened, I immediately quit all that stuff. Um, and you, you, you withdrew from like the creative, the, the portfolio undergrad classes. 
I withdrew. Yep, exactly. I withdrew from those classes. I got out of uh, the advertising club. What was it called? AAF. Yep. Got all of out of that uh, because I I just yeah I wasn't willing to like play the game um, because I didn't believe in the game. Um, and then I just kind of kept doing what I did. I got really lucky. Um, I knew I didn't have a chance at any of the real agencies and, uh, got really lucky at an amazing place called Trisect with, uh, an internship outside of art direction or creative. I think they just like threw me a bone, but, um, is that where you met Nick? It is. I remember this now. Yeah. Um, I want to pause there because I think there's a really good lesson. I think um, for creatives, I'm ta we're talking to creatives right now. The game that you alluded to, can you explain that in like in an undergraduate educational setting? Because I know it, I played it and I used it because I was an account side and I was the president and I did all that and that was fine. I knew what I was doing um, and it was really beneficial from the, for the account track. And I think there is a lot of benefit of like doing these clubs and, and, and participating and, and going all in, but I get worried for the creatives. I get worried that the, uh, the local client briefs are not good for portfolios. I get worried that the class projects for creatives are not strong. It's something that I've been trying to talk with lecturers with adjunct and like teaching them and talking with them like assign really interesting briefs rather than the local nonprofit or local coffee shop. Is that what, is this kind of, a, is this aligning with your thinking or am I going in a different direction? No, I think that's right. And I'm sure, I'm sure it's like subjective, uh, depending on, you know, who you're talking with. But I, I think that, um, it sucks a little bit because I wish, I wish it was like, you know, a series of like things you need to do to become a creative. And by taking out that sort of to-do list, it makes it really nebulous and it seems impossible if it's already not impossible to break in as a creative. Um, but what I realized was like, I actually didn't know this. I didn't know that like creative people in the industry didn't care about resume building, but they don't care about resume building. And I think even if you're, you know, 10 years into the industry or whatever, like basically resume building is networking. Um, you know, when you're going to all those clubs and stuff, you're just, you're just meeting people that you should know. Um, and hopefully one of them kind of, you know, is a hinge to a door that opens for you. Uh, but for the most part, you know, that creatives do need to network and you need to talk to people, but usually the people that you meet as a creative in those venues are just, they're not totally sure how to help you. Um, and it's nothing against those people. It's just, they, they operate a different side of the business. And, um, from a hiring perspective, when you're looking at like young creatives, you basically look for, uh, oddballs, um, you know, and it's not like, are you a, you know, weird person to talk to? It's like, are the inputs that you build into your creativity different from the rest of the people? Um, because then I know you're going to have a fresh perspective versus if you've gone the same path that everyone else is, um, you know, that's, that's really beneficial for like, a you know, a business side of the a business. But I feel like for creatives, you kind of just want like 
different points of view that think differently. So you don't see the same thing from the same people, the same days. And was that for you, was that demonstrated in those, was it the chief magazine or that, that longboard painting art company? Did you think that is what got you into Trisect or a combination of the networking as well and who you knew? Do you recommend people to kind of have like these little side projects instead of working, worrying about the perfect portfolio? I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Definitely. Um, definitely. Because, yeah, if we're talking about portfolios for a second, um, I've seen the same portfolio for a decade now. And it's like, you know, six logos of random brands they picked out of a hat with a couple ad-like objects and maybe a, maybe a paragraph that explains what they're talking about. But they all, they all look the same. And um, I think that's good because it shows that you can think strategically about a business. But usually your portfolio is like only responsible for doing one thing and it's responsible for being memorable. Um, so if you can provide some entertainment or just present something on a website that like, you know, I'm excited to read, excited to show to Gino, like that's, that's kind of the only job. And I think it's true of portfolios of CCOs too. Like the only job of a, of a piece of work is to like get people interested in it. So if it looks the same, it, it usually is just going to look the same. Now, do you still want to see those core competencies of a, the ability to have a background insight and interesting execution multiple times? Or are you saying do something completely different? Not really. Um, I kind of think that's, I don't think it's easy to do, but it's easy to put that type of portfolio together where I feel like if, like I said, like if you can just put together a website that I had a fun ride on, that's, that's the job. That's it. And, uh, After you, know, the, you should captured your attention, which is yeah. what we're supposed to be doing for our clients. Yep. Yep. I think, I think that's the only gig. And case in point was this guy, um, he's like born in the wrong generation. He works at Wider right now. Uh, his name's Grant. Um, he's an art director, but his, his real passion is music. And he like got an album mastered by Robert Plant. Um, he, his website was, I think it was called like grant.party or something. And it was just, you went on there and it was like a bunch of flashing lights and felt like you were in like a little dive bar. Um, I have no idea what the work is on his website anymore, but like, I remembered that and I remember him and he wears bell bottoms and cowboy boots and he's a good time. And like, you know, maybe that's not great for every client. Um, but I really think that's, that's the only job of a portfolio is something that you can remember and is sticky. Hmm. And then when you see something that's interesting or off the cuff like that, are you on the other side thinking about, you know, I like this person's style it would be really helpful for x client and you would want to hire them for that client or you're just saying this person is interesting i don't care where he or she goes we got to get them in this agency um i haven't had the fortune of being in the second position yet so um so you're usually trying to map it to a specific client when you're looking for to fill a position you're like okay this style his comedy style or 
his design style or her de design style would work really well for Old Spice. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I haven't had um, that much experience doing that either. And <laughs> I feel like I'm, I'm really terrible at hiring. Um, I've made a lot of bad hires. It's definitely not my strong suit. It's a hard thing. It's, it's, an, it's a totally different art form um, to hire well. And I know there's a lot of different philosophies out there. Some is like, you know, a classic Widenism is to hire wrong um, to get that different point of view. But then, uh, you know, it's a long, it's a long walk to basically train that person. Right. So I, I wish it was a, a simple answer, but I think that's probably with any industry, it's like pretty tough to hire well, um, because yeah. people can present themselves in a fashion that like fits the keywords, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be like great at the job. Can you tell me about a situation where you hired you said you you hired the wrong person or a bad person. You didn't do a great job. Looking back, were there red flags that you learned from that we can take away? Um, I can give you a creative perspective, and yeah, please. I still don't know. Still don't know how to do it the right way. So, uh, should any higher ups listen to this and want to give me some advice, my inbox is open. Um, I, I hired people who were like kind of addicted to advertising and in the past. And I think that now, which sucks because I'm addicted to advertising. So it like, you know, it sucks to say that, like, I think that's wrong. Um, I think it's, I think it's healthy to like the business you work in, but whenever you hire somebody that's addicted to advertising, I think, I think their goals are inherently like wrong. Um, they're addicted to, to use like the word from earlier that we were talking about, they're addicted to the game a little bit, um, versus when you're hiring creative people, you just need people who are addicted to making stuff and like who, who will make stuff that is great and makes them happy at any cost. Um, I think is, I think is the best type of person, uh, there's a lot you have to roll with. Of course. No, I've been telling I've been telling students that they they still need to understand the industry and know the agencies and see the work that they're creating. They should be hungry to learn historically and what's winning. Is that still good advice? But you're saying the problem could be when all they know is advertising. They study the best ads and they see what's just overboard. There's an issue because a lot of students I talk to don't know very much about current ads and who's winning and losing business and what's winning at Cannes and these award shows. Is there a healthy balance? Is that what you're trying to, that's what I'm saying. Do you agree with that? Um, I do. And uh, let's see, I, balance is a, balance is an interesting way to look at it because I don't, I don't even know if it's a balance. I kind of feel like having an, encyc an encyclopedia is almost yep. table stakes. Um, to me, I'm sure other people don't want that at all. Um, I, I say that because um, advertising as a creative is an inherently competitive business and you should know how the teams have played against you. I played a lot of sports as a kid. So like, I'm very much like watch the film, like know what your competition is and yeah. the way you're going to beat your competition is to know their playbook. Um, but the problem that comes with that is your references become things that have been made in the industry yeah. as opposed to those people like who kind of think weirdly. So like going back to why I was hired, it was probably because I had a weird book and like 
it was not an advertising book. So they're like, oh, this guy's point of reference is just not going to be stuff that we've seen where, you know, when you see a bunch of scripts that have images and swipe and references to other ads, it's like, well, I don't really want us to make a copy of that ad campaign. You know what I mean? Advertising is very much a game of um, fresh thinking and have I seen that before? So um, yeah, I think it's more important to like know what's out there, but then also like put that in the drawer. Know it and store it away so you yep. don't copy it. Interesting. I, I think that's a really good call out. So I, I appreciate that. So, and also I like your point about the competition, sports reference. What sports did you play? I played everything um, good enough, but none of them great. I was like a Swiss yeah. knife kid. I played uh, soccer, basketball, baseball, lacrosse. Um, I was a lifeguard. I probably should have swam and done water polo. Cool. Um, did a, did a lot of things. And then I hit puberty like in college. So once I went to high school and everybody else was, um, turning into a man, I was still five foot one and a hundred pounds soaking wet. So I quickly was like, yeah, I'm going to snowboard and skateboard instead. Hmm. Um, better late than never. Um, uh, gotcha. And I like the point what I was saying was I like that you, you have to understand your competition looking at the different books that are, are getting hired. So, you know, not to copy it and also what the standard is and like what, what the books at Wyden or Leo, they are looking at. So I think that's, that's important, but then stone away. So good lesson there. Let's get back to Trisect and how you met your partner. So how, you broke in there because you had an interesting portfolio, you're saying, and um, even showing up late to the advertising major game, uh, which is not mandatory at all in any way, shape or form. But you kind of discovered it late compared to maybe other U of I students that knew maybe their sophomore year. Um, so you quickly bounced back, created some sort of portfolio and uh, had a little bit of help from your network. And that got you an interview at Trisect, which is a, was it a full service? Is it a full service agency? Great. It was a pretty standard agency or how would you describe it? Uh, it doesn't exist anymore. Um, I don't think it's an RIP scenario, but they... They were a shopper agency. Um, the amount of talent though, that has grown out of that trisect family is pretty incredible. Who, who was the CCO at the time? Chris Consilla was the CCO for us at the time. Um, he's an amazing dude. He went on to, uh, I think he's teaching at Northwestern now before that he was, um, I don't know if he was leading creative or what he was doing, but he was working for the Obama foundation. Okay. Um, before that he was CCO at arc worldwide, which is the shopper arm, um, under publicists, like kind of sister of Leo Burnett. Uh, but yeah, good dude. And a lot of people have gone on, a, a account person who interned with us, Mackenzie Badger. Um, she went on to, uh, you know, work on presidential campaigns. There's a few people who've gone to good be, um, like, uh, Andrea Dica or not Andrea Dica's different Andrea. Um, I'm forgetting her name. She just got married. So I only remember her maiden name, but she's heading up new business at Wyden Amsterdam. Amazing talent from that yeah. place. And it, it was, was uh, it was small at the time. Where where was it located? At the highest, we were like 130. Um, and we we're in the West Loop. It was it was like, you know, one of those boutique shops that just boomed. Um hmm. and uh it was, it was a great time. 
it was actually, you know, like the best advertising experience I think I've had um, to this date. And I think you got some pretty big names on your resume, right? So that says a lot. Yeah, they did. They they did a really good job. I mean, amazing people through and through. But they got bought by um, some Canadian company and have, have since you know gone on. So so did you get hired right after you graduated from U of I? Did you take a gap, did, or did, were you fortunate enough to get hired right out? I, I had an internship there. Um, okay. So graduate internship and was it in copywriting? It, was not, it wasn't in art. It was not in art direction. It was, um, I, I heard, you know, after a couple of years of working there, the art director who they wanted to hire, um, actually backed out at the last minute. So they like had to fill a role, but they were like, I don't really think he's an art director. So they gave me an internal Marcom position. Um, mm. I wasn't even partnered up with a copywriter. I was just sort of this like floating weirdo, but I didn't, I didn't apply to Leo Burnett. I didn't apply to DDB. I, I knew I didn't stand a chance at any of the big agencies, so I didn't even bother. Um, and I tried a bunch at some of these smaller agencies, and that that was like, you know, um, my learning. That was like how I learned how to walk was uh, the people and the time at Trisect for sure. Do you, looking back, do you regret not going? I mean, obviously not, but do you think it was is a strategically sound? move to go smaller if you don't think your portfolio will stand up you think that still holds true today um i mean get a job is the like short answer to that um i kind of sound like a parent when i say that but like doesn't doesn't really matter i think first job of- first first job for sure like you just gotta like if you got bills that like get debt and stuff i totally agree with that like just get in and i feel that way about colleges i feel that way about jobs now like anywhere you work you're going to learn a ton and uh after working at you know a few agencies there's something really like liberating to to realize that you don't need to find like happiness in the name that's on your resume um like you can do good work on any brief at any company it's just like have a good time with the people you're you're working with and make sure that you're either challenged or you know like moving forward that's the only goal I hear you. So then you got in as a Marcom internal communications internship. And how'd you turn that around? And then we'll talk about how you met your creative partner, I'm sure. Yeah, well, I I was designing emails for the company party. That's what I was doing. And I was just bopping around trying to, I actually got really close with all like the old guys who worked in the studio and I would steal their files um, from the server. I would like quietly go on the server and steal their files down. They had like huge Photoshop files and I would just sit at my desk and reverse engineer them and try and figure out how they did the things they did. Um, and so I hung out with all the old dudes, like all the like 65 year olds down in the studio and uh, got really close with them. <laughs> and then I designed a, designed a logo for the Franklin, you know, the Franklin building. It's on, uh, it's like right in the loop. Um, my boss yeah. beating me. And he, his logo made it, but, uh, yeah, I, I got pulled out of an intern meeting cause they were like, the clients are here for the Franklin Nick and they want to see your logo. And so they pulled me out in front of all the interns and that was like my big, like, all right, pal, let's see if you got it. So um, you weren't even supposed to work on this logo. You did this just out of. Yeah. I saw some like, you know, 
pieces of paper on the wall and and try to try to do it. I love that. I love that. People can do this today. Like if you show up and you you hear stuff and you submit an idea, like with Myra, as you know, she'll take a good idea from anywhere. I think that's true. And yeah, like obviously certain people carry a little cachet with them and their ideas might hold a little more weight, but like, um, yeah, it's super corny, but, uh, creative does come from anywhere. And it's just like, it takes somebody to see it and frame it in a way that people are going to buy. And your logo for the Franklin did not win. Unfortunately, no, you you didn't get fired. I just tried really hard. You know, I just, I just like did a ton of things and then uh they partnered me up with nick and gave us the job and i didn't know him at all and we were actually really we didn't like each other at all because uh we both had the same name and we're like no i'm an individual like call me howard call him stoner um and then about three years in we were trying to get another job and we're having no luck and we both kind of sat down we we're talking to each other about like the interviews we've had and he was like man I don't know. Should we team up? Maybe we should team up. And then we, then we basically formed the Knicks. We were like, maybe it's not a negative. Maybe it's our thing. Maybe we should run with it. So you didn't like each other for that, that, that initial, well, how cool that you went from internal comms internship, you put your effort out into this one logo even when it wasn't your brief per se, but they saw that effort. They saw maybe what you did with some of the internal emails and you gave it all. You reverse engineered, you stole files. You, this is a real breaking entering story. I love it. A little, little illegal, it sounds, which we're a fan of. And then you got paired up with, with a copywriter and you were an art director, full-time gig, entry level. Entry level. Um, Everybody's favorite thing to do is talk about salary. We were making like 27,000, I think. Uh, Big time. Made it big time. Um, And our first brief was for Hunt's Chili. It was Halloween time and we had a shipper. A shipper is like those cardboard things that you see in Walmart at the end of an aisle, like an end cap that holds a bunch of cans of chili or whatever. And it's got a little panel on the side that says something. And Nick was like, we're in this room. I remember this conference room and it was uh, like a fishbowl. Um, but all the, all the glass was fogged. So nobody could actually see us. They could just see our shadows. And Stoner was like, what if we put the chili in a cauldron? And I had a panic attack. So I was like, Nick, I do not know how to put the chili in a cauldron. And he was like, what are you talking about? Like we have a full-time job. That's your job. And I was like, I don't even know how to use Photoshop, man. Totally, totally <laughs> lied my way in here. Uh, and we're in this, we're in this fishbowl with the fog glass, like throwing our arms around, like, oh my God. I think we cried a little bit because we thought it was over. Um, and then the next day I just asked somebody how to put the chili in the cauldron and they showed me how and it was fine. There you go. Oh my goodness. That's hilarious. So you figured out how to put the chili in the cauldron. Yep. Yep. And that's, that's kind of uh, like a metaphor, I guess, I guess it is. Yeah. I like that story because that's, I still don't really know how to put the chili in the cauldron, but somebody does. You just had to talk about it. Beautiful. That's soundbite. That's beautiful. Tearing up over chili and Halloween time. It's Halloween time right now. That's right. Gotcha. So, and then you figured it out together. You did three years of tricep. Yep. And then you're like, all right, we got our, we, 
time to get more than $27,000. We're going to make some more money. We're going to hop around to another, to another big agency. And you guys formed this friendship ever since the Chile incident. And you combined your efforts instead of being individuals, I guess. So you're, and when we're saying that it's a website, right? The next website and you would then applied to, to duo, um, roles together. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a weird thing. Um, I'm sure people know this, like it's, it's just easier to place, uh, teams because usually like, say you win a piece of business, like you need teams, right? Right. Uh, and I know Mr. Bill Birnbach sort of invented that uh, classic copywriter advertising duo and advertising, and maybe it seems antiquated. Um, but, uh, you know, when there's teams out there, you just need teams. Like you don't want to totally rely on one person. And it's, and it's such, a, such a cheat code uh, because like two brains are better than one. It's, it's not more complicated than that old phrase. It just, for everything, it's it's easier to concept with another person. It's easier to kick around ideas. It's easier. Same person that you build relationship with and you know each other's style. You figure it out the chili and the cauldron together and you get each other. So it kind of makes sense, right? Do you recommend that like college students, maybe somebody at U of I today, that they find that creative partner or should that be built when you first break in? What's your take on that? I don't think you need to find the partner before an internship because you should get a lot of exposure when you're, you know, new in the industry and kind of figure out, I guess, what you want to do, what kind of work you want to do. But it's super helpful to have somebody who's pretty different than you because um, cause you basically just have like two times the power. Uh, like Nick is very different than me in a lot of ways. And so um, we just both come at things from total, total opposite sides of the problem. Um, and like, that's what I mean by a cheat code. You know, it's, it's just another person. And I think, I think I talk to my wife about that all the time and she's so envious of it because, you know, she's uh, an account director and she has partners that form organically, but it's just, regardless of your job, it's just way easier to do it with somebody else. You know what I mean? Where's she an account director at? She works at Epsilon. Oh, nice. In the ad world for sure. You met in the ad world? We didn't. No, um, that happened uh, organically. I guess she she started in the startup world, um, company that was birthed out of eighteen seventy one. Oh yeah, that the incubator in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And then, how long have you been partnered up with Nick? Longer than I've been partnered up with the aforementioned wife. Um, mm. So we worked. <laughs> Does does Nick get jealous? How do you balance? Neither of them jealous of each other. (laughs) That's good. We got to balance it out. That would be weird. Yeah. I had to ask though. Yeah. So longer than that. So 10 plus years, I'm assuming. I think that's a healthy uh, assumption. Keys, takeaways on how that helps you out. Think about leaving each other. Talk about Nick, not your wife. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this isn't a this isn't a marriage counseling session, but uh, it could be. I think call that her, uh, call her in here, please. No, I think she just got home, so maybe I will. Um, but no, I feel like uh, 
Yeah, it is something I wanted to talk about because long-term creative partnerships are obviously like kind of a hot topic with uh, creatives in general. And people people ascribe to different philosophies. They, you know, say that like you should try a bunch of, uh, try working with a bunch of different people because it's where magic happens is usually when like two perspectives are clashing and you both create something that neither of you would have created. And I think there's a lot of value in that. Um, however, I think there's more value in a partner that you have a shorthand with, partner that you trust and they trust you um, because you're going to come to presentations. You're going you're gonna to come like at problems from a shared point of understanding and just move a little bit quicker. Um, and I think that there's a lot of time wasted in exploring you know, other partners. And I feel like if you're a creative in the business and like the idea of partnerships, when you find somebody that you work well together, you guys are going to honestly just win a lot more um, the more time you spend together. Because, uh, you know, there's like a certain amount of honesty that you have to have with a partner. And, and creativity and like advertising is all about honesty. And if, if you can just shortcut that stuff, you move so much quicker. And you just left Leiden, correct? Correct. Yep. When you did some, was it, um, what was the clash of clans? Clash of clans. Yeah, we did clash from the past there. Um, and we were on. People that it was like a super old game. Is that correct? Yeah, we we tried to create a little bit of a Mandela effect. So it was their 10-year anniversary. um, And a huge team of really, really smart people worked on this. Um, So it definitely wasn't just the two of us. But it was the the 10-year anniversary and we convinced their fans, like 6 million YouTube subscribers or something, an insane, ravenous community. And so we basically had, you know, a Super Bowl's worth sized audience at our disposal at our disposal and we just convinced them that or tried to that it was their 40th anniversary so we reinvented history um and made we pretended like clash was you know mario and like made the 80s made the 90s made the 2000s always there yeah yeah it was was great that was like a project of a lifetime and and that one big in the in the award circuit yeah yeah it did um the grand really well gold grands all that good stuff we won a couple Grand Prix at Cannes and a bunch of other things. Um, super proud of that. I always feel like I have to like pour one out um, when I talk about it because it's like, damn. I, I look that's at it. it. That's like the, that's one of the, a Grand Prix is probably the toughest thing to get. Black pencil, Grand Prix, Super Bowl ad. It's up there on the Mount Rushmore of greatest accolades. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a joy uh, for sure. Congrats. Thanks, man. Yeah. That one is, is something I'll probably, I'm not like sentimental about advertising, but fuck, that was a lot of fun. Dude, you did it. That's awesome. So my last question, and then I want to, I want to wrap things up. What brought you back to Chicago? Couldn't, couldn't, couldn't leave the beautiful city for too long. Well, what's going on there? Chicago. I mean, like I said earlier, Chicago's, um, kind of city of one. I know our like tagline is the second city, but I do think it's better than the coastal cities for a lot of reason because people aren't posturing as much and so people just kind of get down to work um but we had we had a lot of fun um and widen it was definitely bittersweet leaving there um but 
going way back to like, you know, when I, when I was first applying to jobs, I didn't even bother, uh, applying to Leo Burnett. Like that was the, the big Chicago agency. You know what I mean? I still think it's like, it is that it is the, it is the one agency in Chicago to me. And, um, in Havas, Chicago and Havas, Chicago, the two agencies in Chicago. Thank you. Um, and, uh, we were kind of looking at like what we could do next. And we wanted to see if we were, if we were worth our salt as leaders. And there was an interesting opportunity that Brett Nolan gave to us. Uh, he's running Chicago right now at Leo. And, um, there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of things out there that were like as challenging, um, to us. I feel like we were doing pretty well at Wyden. We took demotions, you know, we, we went from creative directors down to creatives and like basically saw if we could swim in the deep end a little bit. And now the next challenge was like, okay, we could keep making fun ads or we can see if we can lead a bunch of people and kind of create this like little army of creative superstars. And I don't think I'm even close to doing that, but that's, I guess my next creative brief is, you know, can I grow a team? And it felt like the best place to do it was like the Chicago agency. So that's, yeah. that's, well, congrats. And I'm sure you're going to lead a lot of great. I, I always liken it like the sports reference is like the coaching, coaching tree. And you said, you know, you work with Myra and I'm sure she worked with some whoever her boss was. And I don't know, there's like a lineage to it. And I think you're going to create some superstars, you and Nick. And I'm sure you guys are both the same level still. Like, how does that work? Yeah. Yeah. We've had, we've had identical, uh, careers for sure. And yeah, the, the title thing is another whole podcast, like title, yeah. titles are silly and advertising. Um, but you're but a creative I, director and, and you have, and you look over multiple duos, like we've been talking about for multiple clients potentially. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, we run a bunch of clients, but it's also just kind of fun to see like I know how Nick and I would approach a brief. And so the the most exciting thing for me right now and like the day to day is to show up to a creative review and see how creatives uh, approach the brief and just like kind of sit back and enjoy the show a little bit. It's like yeah. a unsurprised yeah. and then want the best idea, then workshop it and grow the idea and make it better. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not a gate as much as it is like just something we get to build together. So it's fun. We're definitely stumbling into into that a little bit. It's not easy going from being a creative to a leader, but um, that's that's the job right now. And so far, so good. Amazing. Well, Nick, thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, we talked about advice along the way. Is there one final piece of advice that you want to give that you were thinking about? One final piece of advice. That's a good question. You kind of caught me off guard with that. Um, let's see. Are you Be curious? I hear that one a lot. Oh, do you? Yeah. Um, I, I think, uh, it's not necessarily a piece of advice as it is like a way of looking at things interrogate what people mean by great work. I, I get like my blood boils a little bit when people say like, oh, let's do great work. I hear that all the time and I don't know what that means. Oh, it means it's, uh, makes money for the client. <laughs> that's exactly what it means. That's, that's what I mean. Interrogate what great work means. Um, we have a philosophy, like, uh, I think, I think we stole it from somewhere. I don't know where we stole it from, but it's called, uh, embrace the suck. And 
figure out what great work means to people and whatever they give you something sucky, embrace that suck and like figure out how to turn it into something good. Because all of our opportunities, you know, we got hired at FCB on the worst clients. We got hired on DDB at the worst clients. We got hired at Wyden on the worst client. And then that client fired us in a month. But like embrace the suck, take the challenge and and figure out how to make a diamond out of it. Because I bet you 10 times out of 10, the best briefs are not you know, the best work that you're seeing winning out there. So go out there, embrace the suck and figure out what the fuck people mean by great work. Love it, Nick. How could people reach out to you if they want to ask you more questions? I'm available wherever. Um, I give you my cell phone, but. Um, That's okay. What I'll do is if, if people want, I can introduce um, them to you. Yeah, no, they can find me on on LinkedIn, sadly. It'd be way cooler if I had like a, I don't know, an alias on Spotify and I was doing EDM music or something, but no, I work in advertising. I have a LinkedIn profile. There you go. Nothing wrong with that. Thanks, Nick. Great interview. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, man. Thank you, Gino.